This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, Cam here. Just a quick note to say that Just for Kicks will start in a second, but we recorded tonight's show before Jurgen Klopp told the world that he's leaving Liverpool FC. So um, to all you Liverpool fans out there, we're going to talk a lot more about this on the Monday show. Don't you worry. And, uh, and also my commiserations. Anyway, on with the show. It's time for football. Salah. Escape Cancelo off. Brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello, yes, and welcome to Just for Kicks after a quite remarkable night in Qatar. Um, where well, we'll talk about that in a moment, but today we've got Asian Cup, Malaysia in the Asian Cup, we've got EFL Cup, we've got FA Cup, and a bit more Asian Cup as well at the end. And our three pundits, we have Bob Holmes. Hi, everybody. Good to be here. Great to have you here. And coming to us live from Qatar after having commentated on the match last night, which we're going to be talking about, Des Corkill. Yes, it's uh, really good to be with you. It's the morning after the night before or the night after the night before. And um, gosh, what a night it was. And uh, not only for Malaysia, but for Indonesia as well. There's so much to talk about from Doha. And, uh, and uh, finally, we have a man who's still got a bit of a voice left. He's he lost most of it last night. It seems um, he, he was uh, doing the match on Astro, and it is Kishnan Sundaresan. Hello, hello, guys. Um, yeah, as Cam pointed out, uh, struggling to to speak at the moment, having lost uh, virtually all of my voice last night. Um, well, what an incredible night of football! What an incredible night. As as Des rightly pointed out, so it wasn't just Malaysia, but Indonesia with a sensational story as well. Well, let's go straight to you, uh, Kish. Um, it was emotional night. Tell us what exactly happened. It was Malaysia three, South Korea three. I mean, I just saying it sounds kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've had this. We we had this chat um, on on the Monday show about how um, how the uh, Malaysia's campaign at the Asian Cup has gone in in the first two games. The the lows of that of that four nil defeat against Jordan. Um, the heartbreak of that of that last minute. Um, goal by Bahrain in the second game, and we went into this third game with the nations, you know, slightly underwhelmed, slightly frustrated, disappointed. Um, you know, all football fans getting uh, to watch a Malaysia side that that were you could argue a shade of themselves in the last two years compared to you know how they played at the at the Asian Cup, and then you know you're playing South Korea. South Korea need to win, right? Um, need to get a decent result. At the same time, there's there's nothing left to play for for Malaysia. They, they out of the Asian Cup. We were out even before the game began, and I don't know if that had had an effect. I, I don't know if the if the players, you know, just uh, just woke up on the day. Um, but what I do know is is that Kim Pangon went back to some of his trusted lieutenants. He went back to Darren Lock up front. He went back to Brendan Gunn at the heart of that midfield. Um, and and I and I felt that these two players coming back into the starting eleven um, re- restored uh, the sort of shape that we saw under Kim Pangon in the last two years for the Asian Cup, and what we saw was an incredible performance uh, from Malaysia. The 
they were, you know, they, they set and absorbed like waves of attack from South Korea. They, they contained some of that pressure. Uh, they attacked with a lot of freedom when they had the opportunity. They they caused a lot of problems. Faisal Halim was sensational in this game. I mean, I was I was just watching a lot of Korean journalists just completely go crazy over Faisal on, on Twitter, just wondering who this boy is because he was just running riot. And then you had Arif Ayman with his moments as well. Um, and, and it was fitting in, in a very nice way that uh, some of Malaysia's best players on the day were players that have come under heavy criticism in recent times. Uh, Dominic Tan um, was amazing yesterday. Daniel Ting being played off out of position and had, what, two or three sensational last-ditch tackles. Um, uh, you, you, there were some crazy good performances in that. Um, and in a very nice way, I think, to just to sum it up, I think what Malaysian fans enjoyed about that draw was beyond just the fact that we held, uh, you know, a, a global football powerhouse to a to a three-all to a high-scoring draw. It was the fact that last night's game served as a reminder that Malaysian football can compete. Mm. That the first game against Jordan was just a, a blip. It was a it was a nightmare day. It was a it was a bad dream. It was something that just you know the team collapsed and it should not happen again. But that does not reflect on the standards of the national team. Last night's game was the actual reflection of how well we can play when we truly show up, when the right players are given the opportunity, when we go back to the setup that lifted us over the last two years. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's like, uh, Keish is like a kind of Malaysian footballing Winston Churchill, isn't he? <laughs> Des, um, you, you were there. You are there. Um, you saw it. You commentated. Yes, it was. A, it, it was very good. Um, in like the game against Jordan, we've got to got to got to go back a week. That's the one I think that really hurts because uh, I think we all hyped up Malaysia, and I think the Malaysian players and Kim Pangong believed the hype of what they did in the game against Bahrain. I think they were heroic against Bahrain and against uh, uh, no, uh, the Korea Republic, given their proper. Monica, they went back to actually saying, hey, we are the underdogs here and we have got to scrap and we have got to fight. And the Dominic Tan, Cheryl Saad, uh, Dion Cool's defensive uh, tri uh, trio at the back, they all were, were really good. And it was a defensive base upon which you could try to launch Faisal and Arif Ayman. And in, in the first half, Darren Locke, who pressed from the front. Yeah. Uh, Darren Locke was kind of like a centre-half playing as number nine uh, because he was pressing, pressing, pressing. And that was the key thing. It was scary in the first half because a career Republic just came on Malaysia in waves and waves. And Malaysia did really well. Sihan Hasmi made one terrific save where he stood up big and put up a right arm to deny uh, Son Hyung Bin. Um, and he was so unlucky with the first goal. I don't know what Sihan Hasmi has done. He has upset somebody up in uh, the higher echelons of the world because we were so unlucky this whole tournament. Yeah. Um, it's so unlucky with the first goal because it's a terrific save, except it's not a save because the ball's a couple of inches over the line. Um, the second goal, it hits the crossbar and comes back and hits him on the back of the hand as he's launching up to make a, a, a wonderful save. It's so unfortunate. But, but how, tall, how tall is he, though? How tall is he? So this is one of my issues. Remember uh, the first game against Jordan, I said, it's not Sihan's fault. He hasn't made a mistake. He's just not tall enough to make the save 
for the first goal that goes in where he puts his, his hands up. It goes into the top corner. If he's six foot two, six foot three, he mm. makes the save, but he's not. Um, so it's not his fault, but Malaysia just need that dominant goalkeeper who can make the, the impossible save. And again, even for the, for the free kick that comes off the bar yesterday, if he's six foot, three, six foot two, six foot three, he gets the touch to put it over the bar rather than be incredibly unfortunate. So, um, oh, it, but going back to it, Malaysia were just so brave. They kept believing. I had the chance to speak to Dion Cools immediately after the game where he was taking deep breaths to take it all in. And I said, how did you come back after the VAR decision goes against you for 3-2 and the penalty? Which is technically right. I've been saying this all along. It's technically right, but it's so wrong. <laughs> a, a, a touch in the penalty area is not a penalty, but it is in the modern day. Uh, and yet Malaysia still had the, the wherewithal to come back and fight back and get that equaliser uh, in the, what, what was it, the 107th minute of time. Um, oh, it, it, it was heroic, but it was based upon a defensive performance of, of real bravery, of real heart, of real effort, of real pride. Uh, be you a heritage player, be you a, um, a, a naturalised player, or be you born in Penang, or be you born uh, in the heart of um, Malaysia. It, it, it was wonderful to be there. It wasn't quite a James Wong moment, but it wasn't far off it. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry, Bob, not, not much for you and me to say there, uh, to add to that one, I don't <laughs> think. But, um, but well, well done. Well, kind of, yeah, well done to Malaysia. I mean, come on, 3-3 against South Korea. And what's next? World Cup qualifiers? Uh, yes, uh, but I'd just like to say it, it's such a welcome change uh, for me, having been here almost 30 years. It's been grim most of that time. There haven't been many false dawns even. It, it's, I mean, the, the first big thing I encountered in Malaysian football was the um, betting scandal. And, uh, you know, we, uh, people had more or less given up hope. I was hearing stories of how good Malaysia used to be from the old timers, how we beat South Korea and Japan and all this, and now 150 places below them in the FIFA rankings. So it's been grim, grim, grim. So this is really an unexpected treat to find that Malaysia is actually competing. And I mean, really, uh, were gave them a good game. I mean, South Korea. This this is a serious team, isn't it? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I. I, I yeah. Well, let's move on. But I just want to say that uh, seeing Son Son Hyun Min looking devastated by the late equaliser, and it was because of Malaysia. That was like, oh my god. <laughs> uh, we must move on. And when we come back, it's some um, EFL Cup here on Just for Kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back um, with Bob and Keish and Des. And now, um, well, we, we'll we come back to the Asian Cup a little bit later. But for now, we're going to go to the EFL Cup. Perhaps even more important than the Asian Cup. Is that possible? Um, and uh, I want to start with you, Des. It was uh, Fulham... One Liverpool one and Liverpool go through on aggregate three two. Um, I, I know it's one one, but I was I was kind of hugely impressed by Liverpool, and I have been increasingly so because they can just come at you from just anywhere. 
Yeah, Liverpool played very, very well. Uh, and such a young team. You've got to remember Connor Bradley and uh, Harvey, uh, Harvey Elliott and Gravenbach. They're all under 21. Uh, you had uh, Gerald Quanta at the heart of the central defence. And they went into a very, very um, um, febrile atmosphere at Craven Cottage. If you can have a febrile atmosphere at Craven Cottage. But it was a, <laughs> a very passionate atmosphere. And they played wonderfully. Um, they got a bit of fortune with the first goal. Um, where everyone's blaming uh, Leno, but it's it's, it's such a, a crazy sequence of ricochets that helps uh, Luis Diaz put the ball into the net off the post. But Liverpool, they attacked, and the, 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 the one difficulty, not the one difficulty there, the, the worrying thing from a Liverpool perspective was that they missed so many clear opportunities, that they, um, they, they, they weren't clear shots on goal, but they had several times where they had four on threes and weren't able to convert them. Uh, they should have put that game to bed a long time before they finally did. And in the last 15 minutes, it nearly came back to, to really bite them on the backside because uh, after the uh, equaliser from Diop, who um, he seemed to have a, 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 a one-on-one fight with uh, Diogo Jota, but after the equaliser, you really did feel that Fulham had a chance to come in and um, uh, make something of this. Harry Wilson made a big difference from Liverpool man. He made a big difference when he came on. Liverpool for 75 minutes were like a, a Rolls-Royce, but a young Rolls-Royce. And the, don't forget there's players who are injured who've got to come back into the team. That was very, very impressive from Liverpool. Uh, Chelsea in the final, uh, I, I, you will talk about that in a moment. Uh, it'll be very uh, difficult because you know what? I think Chelsea are, are going to come good. Um, but Liverpool, gosh, it's not only the now, it's the 20-year-olds who were so impressive. Uh, yeah, Um I'm, I'm tempted to move on from Liverpool um, and I, to talk about Chelsea, actually. I think, in a way, that's where the story is. Um, Keish, they 6-1 against Middlesbrough. Uh, they've um, Everyone's been saying that Chelsea are going to come good. Have they come good? I mean, Middlesbrough are no mugs. They, the, what, mid-table in the championship. Um, it was kind of, it was pretty, it was fast. Uh, I, I remember us having this discussion about um, a few weeks ago. Um, I, I, it was a week in which um, I remember saying that um, even though Chelsea are below Man United in the table, but I see far more of a plan, far more of a strategy, far more of an identity with Chelsea and the work that Pochettino is doing in a short space of time compared to Man United. And, and this is a clear example. Make no mistakes. I know one is a Premier League team, one is a championship team. But Middlesbrough, no, you know, they're no pushovers, and and Michael Carrick has done a terrific job with them um, last year, this year. So it's it's, but the the thing about Chelsea is with the wealth of attacking talent that they have on the pitch, with the amount of signings that they have made, with you know the the squad overhaul that has happened over the last eighteen months or so, it was always going to take time. And in that time, you are always going to get these little moments to remind you exactly where the club is headed or exactly the direction that the club and Pochettino is taking them towards. And, and this, this was, uh, was another example because things clicked on this day and it just were absolutely sensational. And every single week, it just starts to look like that Cole Palmer signing was an absolute bargain. I mean, there is a reason why he was so highly rated. Uh, at Manchester City. And since he's come in, he's just been absolutely sensational. He's, 
He's left Man City. He's walked into Chelsea with a big price tag, with a lot of expectations on his shoulders. But he's just looked like the calmest, coolest guy on the pitch every single time he plays. And this is another example as well. Two goals. Um, and I know this is about, like, you know, Carabao Cup, Chelsea are in the final. But, but purely from a squad evolution point of view, I'm like, this is yet another validation of the work that Pochettino is doing. And it's not to say that immediately after this, Chelsea are going to go on a 10-match winning streak. Probably not. They are still going to have hiccups. But these are the reminders and indicators that in the midst of the upcoming hiccups, that the club is ultimately headed in the right direction under Pochettino. So, Bob, all of, all of that spending spree that uh, we were making fun of from Chelsea, it was, it was a genius plan all along. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, with Chelsea and Liverpool in the final, uh, who can start scratching their name on the cup now? Liverpool? Liverpool. Well, Liverpool will be, I think, slight favourites, but uh, Chelsea will be very much up for it, having uh, been beaten by Liverpool on penalties in this very tournament uh, a couple of years ago in the final. A uh, very, very close game. Um, and uh, Chelsea will will feel that this is their moment. Uh, they're not going to win another competition, I don't think, although they, they're in the FA Cup and they play Aston Villa at home, and they'll be very much up for that. But Chelsea will fancy this, and I think it could well be a turning point, this, this result, this 6-1 uh, mm-hmm. thrashing of, of Middlesbrough. I, I do. But uh, I think that Pochettino actually deserves credit for sorting out a mess. He wasn't behind this strategy. This was from the owners. They believed in buying youth, talented youth, but but youth predominantly, and getting them from all over the place and then leaving it to the manager to sort it out. And they, they got around the uh, fair play rules by amortization, which the, uh, the Premier League is now but to stop to, they were giving out eight and a half year contracts. Now the Premier League has said your maximum is five. So it means that they, those fees, those hundred million and plus uh, pound fees they paid for players, they're going to make a bigger impact on the balance sheet than they otherwise would. So that's it's, a, that's it's retroactive, though. I mean, they, they did it when it wasn't uh, outlawed, so they can get yeah, away they've with got it. A, they've got away with it, basically. They did it while the, ge- the, the gate was open. Now it's been shut. They can't, they can't do that again. Right. But they've got away with it. Yeah. But Pochettino does deserve credit because he was handed a, a lot of talented players. I mean, a lot of mm. managers would have, would have loved to have had the talent at his disposal, but there's just so many of them. And he didn't, they weren't his players. I mean, he didn't choose hardly any. He was handed. Cole Palmer, gift wrap by Pep. And the more you see it, the more it's looking like Pep might have made a mistake there because this guy is seriously good. He really is. And as, uh, as Keith said, he's so cool. I mean, that's what England need, and especially when it comes to penalties. Going into the Euros next year, England, one of the favourites, they've got a guy who can actually take a penalty. Wow. <laughs> uh, so Chelsea are looking good and Pochettino is even getting a tune out of uh, Raheem Sterling the forgotten man so uh, I think he's he's had a problem he's had problems but he's finally turning it round all credit to him right uh, 
Okay, so that's the EFL Cup. Let's move on to the FA Cup. We are in the fourth round now. And Des, so uh, apparently uh, Pep made a mistake and the rest of the Man City team are just a bunch of duffers now that uh, <laughs> now that he's done that. Tottenham, uh, Pochettino's home, really, versus Man City. Um, could be good. Yeah, it, it's the pick of the games. Uh... Uh, will the teams pick up their, their their best teams? I think they might well do for this. Well, Man City, I've got such a, 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 a rich group of players. Cole Palmer was allowed to go because Pep Guardiola thought he had um, enough players to replace um, Palmer with. Uh, it'll be a test at, at, at um, Man City uh, at uh, Tottenham because um, and whoever he plays. I think uh, Timo Werner is going to come back and haunt a few people. Uh, I think that's a, a really good loan signing. There haven't been many uh, signings in the transfer window, I'm delighted to say. Uh, but uh, T- Timo Werner's loan signing is a good one. Um, I'm assuming he's eligible for the FA Cup. Yes, he is eligible for the FA Cup. Um, so th- this will be a tough one. Tottenham versus Manchester City. For me, for, for Bob and I, we go back to 1981 and that remarkable final, the Ricky Villa final. Um, so there's a little bit of nostalgia in there. But this is a, a, a very, very different matchup between two very modern managers. Tottenham, Tottenham to take this one, you know. I think um, this is something that uh, Anne Postacoglu will really pick a strong team for. Uh, Manchester City to might maybe get a bruised nose out of this one. And um, yeah, Postacoglu to, take a, uh, to pick a very, very strong team and to take this a little bit more serious than um, Pep does. So it's on yeah. to the best. Because aside from the league, um, this is all they have, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think so. And Tottenham were traditionally a cup team. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, so, Keish, man, yeah, your Manchester United are up against the mighty Newport um, Newport uh, town, city, co- county. County. <laughs> the whole county. Um, I said the other day, this is actually the nearest team to where my mother grew up. So I said, go, go Newport okay. for me. Um, you know, Man United, I mean, you never know. You never know. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had our fair share of uh, of catastrophes against some of these, uh, or near catastrophes as well, you could argue, against some of these um, lower league teams. I remember a few years back, um, I think United fans would, would remember this, where United left it really, really, really late against uh, a crawly town side in the FA Cup. That was like, seven, eight years ago at Old Trafford. And I, mean, and I just remember how chaotic that game was. Um, I, I, honestly, I, I don't go into these games, um, you know, having that sense of overconfidence because when it comes to the FA Cup, every single player for every single lower league club seems to just be lifted to a whole different platform altogether. It's the, it's the prestige, it's the history of the tournament. And I, 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 this might sound weird, but I'll argue that the FA Cup means a lot more to them than it even does to the big clubs anymore. And it's within those smaller league clubs where the the, the true spirit of the of the trophy of the tournament still, you know, is well and truly alive at the moment. Uh, but having said that, from a from a United point of view, I think what Eric Ten Hag would have appreciated about January was um, for the first time since he has taken over at Man United in a in the midst of a season. He's not had a pack, packed um, calendar because since he took over Man United week in, week out, especially last year when they were you know going in all competitions, 
all the way to the end. He barely had any time. I mean, I remember um, Astro Supersport, uh, the host Adam uh, and Michelle, they, a couple of times they had the opportunity to speak to to Eric Ten Hag when they went over there. And, and he alluded to to stuff like that, that he has very little time to, you know, to coach players on the training pitch. Because you're, you know, more often than not, you're just recovering from games. You're just, you know, preparing for the next one. There's there's very little gap in in between fixtures when you're playing three games a week. So, in January, they've they've played very minimal amount of matches, and I think it's something that he would have greatly appreciated. And hopefully, that'll have an impact uh, on the structure of the team, on the look and feel of the team um, this week and and moving forward into February. Yeah, Keish, you know it won't. <laughs> you just know it, don't you? <laughs> uh, we'll come That's... back to you in a, in a short while, Keish, with that one. Absolutely. <laughs> we take a short break. When we come back, the big one Bristol City versus Nottingham Forest here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to part three with myself, Cam, and uh, Kishnan Sundaresan, Bob Holmes, and Des Corkill. And now, Bob Holmes. Um, yeah, I, I said it just now. Bristol City versus Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest probably don't really want this distraction, uh, but Bristol City are not to be, they're not to be dismissed lightly. Uh, no, they're certainly not. Uh, this has got upset written all over it. Potential upset. Uh, Forest, yes, as you say, distracted. They desperately need points. And it, I mean, even if they win tonight, they'll be relieved. They they don't want to go out to a to a lower ranked team, and they'd still be in the FA Cup. But uh, what what Forest would be wishing is could they could they take those points and and put them in the in the league table? You know, because they don't know uh, how many points they're going to be deducted. And this is overshadowing everything they're doing right now. They can't, their transfer strategy in the January window has obviously changed because of this impending punishment. Um, all I would say on that is that they've made a very good signing, arguably the best lawyer in the business for, uh, uh, what is it called? Profit and sustainability rules. This guy, uh, DeMarco, he's supposed to be the number one guy and they've hired him. So there's a there's a great signing. Whether he can pull this off is another matter. Getting back to the game, uh, yes, Bristol City um, did very well uh, in the last round. Already uh, con- consider themselves giant killers. Um, it took two, two games, but there is a sense that something positive is happening there. Uh, with Bristol they've got a good uh, young manager and the crowd is really behind them they took 9,000 to uh, Wolves wasn't it I think they beat in the last round Um, they took 9,000 people uh, to an away game Uh, Ashton Gate their home ground is going to be absolutely packed and rocking for this so Forest have really got their work cut out actually tonight Um, yeah and um, good luck to them and Yes, I want to give you um, Blackburn versus Wrexham because Blackburn, first Premier League winners, and but their trajectory ever since has really been downwards. Wrexham, on the other hand, Hollywood's Wrexham on their way up. I'd like to know, as the socialist that you are, the people's, the people's yeah. person, 
Um, how do you feel about the the Hollywoodization of Wrexham? Oh my word! You're 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 rubbing at a, a niche for me there. Um, I'm I'm not a big fan of it. We talk about money dominating at the top levels, and money is dominating even with Wrexham as well. I'm thrilled to bits that Wrexham are being treated properly as a football club once again. They've got a long, 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 long history. But they're paying double the wages of, of other teams down at the bottom. Yes, that's ambition. I know that's ambition. But it, it is a kind of um, financial doping at, at the bottom level. It's not exactly tearing the, 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 these uh, league two apart, but it is. it does give them a, a, an advantage in terms of they can buy better players and they can look to the future and they can try to invest in the future. So it, it, it's, a, it's a tough one. I'm against the financial doping but uh, for Wrexham. They were so financially doped against for so long. It maybe is their time to have a little time in the spotlight. And they're certainly getting time in the spotlight. Um, and uh, another uh, televised FA Cup match is precisely what will do them an awful lot of good. Um, will, are they good enough to, to get through this one? Not quite sure. It's, uh, I, I haven't really followed their form enough. I haven't followed enough of their live games because all you get with Wrexham these days is little snippets. You just let, uh, get, get um, uh, TikTok videos of what, what players are doing. And um, a documentary series that, that won, a, won a primetime Emmy or something, wasn't it? And I'd much rather we talked about Wrexham and the history of them beating Arsenal and the Mickey Thomas and of the, the rich history of the club uh, because we don't get that as part of this new, new thing. So, yeah, you've got me in a, between a rock and a hard place there. I want them to do well, but I'm looking at Scan saying they're only doing well because they've got more money. Um, so, but I hope they do well because they're from kind of my part of the world, North mm-hmm. Wales. And I always want um, teams from North Wales, Chester, Wrexham, Tramia, to, to have a chance to get up to the spotlight. I just wish it wasn't all about financial doping, and it is a little bit about that. Can I just well, jump in there? Uh, I'd just like to remind listeners that Wrexham pulled off one of the all-time great FA Cup upsets when awesome. they were 92nd in the uh, football league tables. They were bottom of the bottom division, and Arsenal were, were first top of the first division in those days, and Wrexham won a famous match. So that's the history of Wrexham. I don't know if the... If the Hollywood boys uh, even know about that, but I'm sure they've been reminded oh, of it. I'm Mickey sure. and Steve Watkin, fantastic day. I, I never saw that match, but in my head, I imagine the pitch was just, it was just mud, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> there were cows grazing on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Keisha, I always like to throw a curveball at you, and I, and I kind of want to, <laughs> because, you know, in the past, we've had a lot of uh, leads uh, fans as pundits, and so it's Leeds versus Plymouth. We, are, I mean, our our Leeds doing down there. Are we going to see them again? When I say again, I mean I mean from the lofty heights of a Premier League watching person. Yeah, to, to be fair, uh, Leeds aren't doing too bad. I really feared the worst for them. Uh, the way things, you know, capitulated towards the the tail end of of last season. I really feared. The worst with the with the movement of the ownership, the change in the director of football, the coaching staff, disgruntled players. I thought they were going to have a tougher time compared to, let's say, someone like Leicester, who, 
you know, with Leicester towards the end of last season, it almost felt like they were gearing up for a season in the championship already. They have stability. They were going to, you know, go down, regroup, fight back. And and to be fair to them, it's it's precisely what they're doing at the moment, topping the championship table. But with Leeds, I expected the worst. To be fair to Daniel Fark, um, he's done a, a, a pretty decent job. Um, and it's not been easy for him because at the start of the season, you know, you he had a, a, a disgruntled, uh, Willy Nyonto, who who was you know refusing to play, he he wanted to leave. He probably felt like he was you know too good for the championship. Um, you know some of the other boys were were moving in and out of the club, uh, but but they've done well to sort of you know regroup and 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 convince some of these star boys, so to speak, to 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 perform for for them. Some of their signings were you know players that they they plucked from Eredivisie before this during the Premier League days players that were regarded as wonder kids in the Eredivisie and these boys are, you know, they're giving it, they're all in the championship at the moment and the same goes to Willy Nyonto. He has, he has, he has completely um, buckled up and, and and started giving his best on the pitch. Um, I know recently they, they did let go of that influential right back, the guy who's been, uh, he, the name is just not coming to my head at the moment. He just doesn't know the name. Of a right back player in the championship. He's not coming to my head. I mean, the, the influential right back, the guy that's been, um, you know, playing for Leeds, all the they're all scratching their heads. Oh, the Arsenal, I, I, I'm not going to get over this if I, <laughs> if I don't. You uh, can't Google him. What are you? I'm just going to figure it out now. Leeds United, <laughs> Arsenal. Oh, we just we just sit here and wait for you to Google the guy's name. Is it? <laughs> yeah, Luke Luke Ailing, Luke Ailing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they let him go on loan as well. Uh, the, I know that was pretty emotional for Arvin uh, because Luke Ailing has been a, a a really strong part of the of the club's culture over the last few years. Uh, but Leeds, uh, you know, they, they're doing okay. Um, and it's great to see because obviously they have tremendous support. I, I had the privilege of 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 going to Perth in 2019 for a preseason game between United and Leeds. Um, and I thought United was big, but to see the amount of Leeds United fans that traveled from Leeds all the way to Perth, halfway across the world, they were singing, they were they were chanting. It was just a you know a tremendous um, uh, set of supporters, and I just couldn't be happier for them. Wow, that leads dirty leads, Kish. Well, don't <laughs> that's, that. that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Um, okay, um, Bob Holmes. Um, I, I, I really actually, I really want to ask this question. It's a difficult one, but it's Sheffield Wednesday versus Coventry City, and the reason why I ask is because these are two clubs which are in bad financial situations. Um, and uh, and I suspect you're a man who might know how things are going there. Uh, I, I didn't prep him at this all. Is on this is a bit one. of a curve ball. Isn't it, it is. Yeah. Um, well, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is the honest <laughs> answer. Yeah. Um, but uh, these are two uh, sort of relatively well-known names. Uh, they spent quite a bit of time in the top flight in their time. Sheffield Wednesday were a fixture for, for many a year. And Sheffield has actually um, had a, a, a real tough time of it lately with both Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday um, out of the top flight for many years. So I, it's, Sheffield is a real football city. It is, yeah. And they, um, they, they deserve uh, a Premier League club. And... Uh, it's about time Sheffield Wednesday got their act together. Um, Sheffield United struggle on with uh, 
the uh, financial difficulties. No one seems to have any money in in Sheffield, or at least in the football owning fraternity. They, they, they've never had a rich owner, neither of these two clubs, and that's what they need. Um, and uh, Coventry City, well, they've done well to survive. They've they've been playing all over the country. They haven't had their own ground. They lost that, uh, but they've they've come up. They were down in the uh, in the third tier. They've come back up. They narrowly missed promotion to the um, Premier League last season. Um, so, uh, and their fans have uh, stuck by them. Coventry is, is quite a, a big city. Um, again, you know, they can sustain a, a Premier League team if uh, they, they'd, they'd get 25,000, 30,000 home gates if they got back in there. But they just really need to sort it out in the boardroom. Yeah. Uh, Coventry, until they got relegated, they, I think they'd had the longest um, stretch in the top flight of any club until they got relegated. Um, so we've also got a whole bunch of others. Chelsea, Aston Villa, Fulham, Newcastle, Liverpool, Norwich. I think we know who's going to win that. Bournemouth, Swansea. And I want to conclude with uh, you, with Des, with um, Everton versus Luton Town. Neither team wants this distraction. Wow. Gosh, um, Everton are getting distractions galore. Um Everton will will battle for this. I, I think Everton are okay with playing in in cup games. Uh, they would love the distraction, so people aren't talking about um, potential um, fines and points deductions, etc. Uh, Sean Dyche likes to likes to have a, a winning mentality surrounding him. Luton, I truly do think their their focus is purely on staying in the the Premier League if they possibly can. I'd be amazed if Luton put a full strength team out for here. As for Everton, they haven't got enough players in reserve or from the youth team that they can actually change too many players. I think Sean Dice has got a top 15, 14, 15, 16 players and not an awful lot be- below that. Um, uh, it'll be a surprise to me if he, pl- if he plays a weakened team. I can see Everton actually going for this one just to try to keep some kind of momentum going. Remember, Everton don't have uh, European distractions or anything. So you can play a full team and and not worry too much about fatigue for your for your first team squad. Um, so no, I can see Everton taking this one more seriously than Luton do, and Everton um, taking this one again. They need to divert attention away from the potential um, uh, points deductions that have already happened and may well still be coming. That's still up in the air. It, it's such a, an air of uncertainty that this is one certainty that Sean Dyche can do. Let's get our best team out and let's keep winning games of football. Uh, well, speaking of the uncertainty, um, we're going to talk about that in a moment. We get back uh, with the transfer market and also we'll have a look again at the Asian Cup in the wider sense and the teams that have been doing well and not so well there on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to part four with me and Bob and Keish and Des. And now, Bob, um, I'd like to do a, a quick look at the transfer market, which has been kind of quiet. Uh, we have, I've got here uh, only three people uh, in the last uh, week or so. We got Reguillon on loan, Brentford, Sheffield United, and Spurs with, well, Timo Werner. 
it seems pretty quiet. Um, is it possible that people are frightened of, uh, you mentioned the word amortization earlier, of the financial fair play situation? Absolutely. That's the reason. It's eerily quiet. But having said that, when the clubs work out their finances with a few days left in the window, you may see a late <clears throat> splurge. If clubs feel can be reassured that they're very safe, they've got no worries on this, um, then they might go for the, uh, you know, investing in, in players they've been looking at. And most of these clubs, they do work with the Premier League to make sure they, they are on the right side of the rules. Even Forrest and Everton did, but somehow still ended up getting it wrong because they're, they're, they are rather complicated and they, they do change. And there are all sorts of issues. That's why there's caution in the window. But there, are, there aren't that many great players that are available um, at, at the moment. I mean, you can, you can mention Kylian Mbappe, for example. If somebody yeah, I heard wanted he's going to, to Liverpool. Make, if somebody wanted <laughs> to make a big splash, a statement signing, I mean, there's nobody bigger. But um, no one, no one's even sniffing around. He's going to end up at Real Madrid. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, the biggest signing, well, have been loan signings. The biggest names so far have been loan signings. Calvin Phillips has gone to West Ham again on loan. But that's, I think that suits everybody, especially Phillips, because he just wasn't getting game time at uh, Manchester City. He's one of those players, for some reason, Pep didn't fancy him. I mean, he bought him. He paid He paid a decent amount for him. I think it was £40 million. But he hardly ever gave him a chance. Uh, so Phillips is desperate to play. He wants to get back in the England fold with the Euros coming next year. Uh, this this year, rather, isn't it? We've, we've turned the corner. That's this right, year, yeah. later this year. Um, I think that's a good signing for West Ham too because they lost Declan Rice. Um, he's a different type of player, but a midfield. Well, he was he was Rice's partner in the England midfield in the Euro, in Euro twenty twenty two, and a very good one too. So that's a, that's a good move all round. But um, yeah, this this is caution brought about by these draconian punishments that are being meted out by the Premier League, and even even the rich uh, the rich guys are are watching their wallets at this point. It's, it's unprecedented. Last season, the, uh, the spending in the January transfer window by the Premier League exceeded all the other major leagues in Europe put together. This year, there's hardly been a penny spent. Wow. Um, but, uh, Keish, you're expecting... You, you think there's going to be a late splurge? I, I wouldn't use the word splurge. I agree with I agree with Bob. I think a lot of clubs are very mindful of the FFP situation. Um, United are are kind of stuck in it. Chelsea have got to be really careful. Um, at the same time, Newcastle are stuck in it as well at the moment. So you've got a host of um, you know a, a host of big clubs that traditionally spend big uh, at times when you know they want to hit the panic button, but they can't do the same right now because of that. But what you might see. Um, are loan deals. Um, United did it last last January. Um, there was a last-minute deal for Marcel Sabitzer and Wout Weghorst who, who came in in January towards the end as well. Um, and you might see, you know, um, a few extra deals coming in. I know United are 
uh, on the lookout for a, for a backup striker now that, you know, Anthony Marshall could be out for a prolonged period with a, with a groin injury. Um, so th- there's been talks of uh, Eric Maxim Chupamoting. There's been talks of a, a few other names. So you, you might see some loan deals being scrambled across the line to sort of, mm-hmm. uh, to sort of help these teams uh, going into uh, the, the rest of the season. Yeah. So, uh, Des, let's turn now to the Asian Cup of Nations. Um, I've said so much, and I've been watching just highlights, and I get confused after a while between the African Cup of Nations and Asian Cup. <laughs> What's Morocco up to? They're not even there. Um, uh, Des, the, the, how's the tournament been? The, the, other, the other team. Some of those uh, giants have been not gianting. Uh, yeah, it's 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 been fabulous. I, I've, I've got to, got to say, I'm, I'm hugely honoured and privileged to be here. And Qatar, it has its critics, but all the venues are so close to each other that, that there is a feeling that you are in touch with what is going on. That it's so many games going on, it kind of washes you over. But some of the key things that have come for me is um, so Korea will meet Saudi Arabia in one of the round of sixteen games. And I don't think either team is genuinely playing for their coach. Roberto Mancini's in charge at, um, at Saudi Arabia. And yes, they've got through, but he, he made a big statement. A couple of players, Al Faraj, who I've commentated on for years. I was really looking forward to commentating on Al Faraj at Saudi Arabia. Roberto Mancini dropped him from the squad because um, he didn't give full commitment to, to the squad. And so he's tried to lay down the law to Saudi Arabia. And I think he's made one or two players lose face. And as a result, Saudi Arabia, to me, just haven't really tried to play for Roberto Mancini. They've not not played, but it's that 2 or 3% which has uh, let them down a little bit. I was at the game with um, uh, Thailand last night uh, where it was a nil-nil draw. Four disallowed goals and uh, a missed penalty. VAR be- being uh, used to the nth degree out of here, which is also a feature of this. But the Saudi players aren't as good as they should be under Roberto Mancini. And exactly the same for Korea as well. Jurgen Klinsmann was under criticism before he came out to this tournament because he still lives in the United States and he rarely comes and visits the K-League, rarely comes to Korea. And he's assembled a a team of players who who look very, not disinterested, but not playing to their potential. Malaysia got heroic results against them, but um, a Korea Republic didn't play to their potential. Again, I don't think the players have bought into Jurgen Klinsmann and so they have theoretically underachieved. Both have qualified for the for the next round. But it, it is very interesting that even at the international level, the the the, um, the coach and the players have got to be on the same wavelength. Otherwise things don't don't happen. That's that's been a feature for me. Plus plus VAR. VR technically has been right on every single occasion. There's been a touch in the penalty area. The junior foul last night, a penalty was awarded because he got them. He touched a player before he touched the ball. Even the Arif Ayman penalty, uh, Seol came in, touched Arif before he got the ball. But in a proper football world, they are so soft. They are so harsh. Uh, I, th- I think there must be an adjustment uh, to, to VAR uh, because you're literally touches in the penalty area are producing penalties. And that is not what the game was was meant to be about. Players are being offside by a knee or players are being offside by a shoulder. It's technically spot on. It's technically brilliant. 
but it, it, it's so dispiriting to, to, but, to be part. Uh, Des, there doesn't seem to be goal line technology. It was VAR that de uh, denied, uh, that gave the South Koreans right. the first goal against Malaysia, wasn't it? That's Correct. surprising, that. Yeah. 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 They don't have it? And I, no, they don't have tech, goal line technology. As I keep saying to you, to, to you all, it's really expensive, all of this stuff. It's not no. easy to implement. I know, uh, and Qatar is just on, on lives on a shoestring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, Des, that ref, that that penalty was a clear cut penalty. I have never seen a more clear cut penalty in my life. Thank you very Which much. Which one? Which one? Uh, the the one uh, the given that to one. Malaysia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you say that was soft? Um, <laughs> so let's let's conclude with Keish. Um, the 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 wider Asian Cup. What 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 has caught your eye? I'm just uh, really, 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 really happy for Thailand and Indonesia. Um, yeah, just massively happy. Um, it, Thailand, for example, have you know they, they've had their fair share of controversies in recent months. They you know they 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 had a managerial change. Um, I think literally about a month and a half ago, um, they went to Japan on New Year's Day and got absolutely smashed in a friendly game. After which, the players went back to Thailand. And reported back to training with their clubs for for a few more days, played a league game, and then regrouped and flew to Doha a day before the tournament started. So it's not been it's not been smooth sailing for Thailand, but to see them, you know, not lose a single game in the group stage, um, you know, and 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 go in into the knockout stages as uh, the the second best team, that was you know absolutely sensational. A, a very matured performance from Thailand. Also, given that they're missing some of their best players, right? Chanatip is injured. Tirasil Dangda is injured. Ekanit Panya did not report to the national team because, you know, he opted to continue his pre-season training camp with, with um, I think it is Urawa Ritz in Japan, wow, right? Yeah. So yeah. There's, there's been all this noise around them and still they find themselves now in the round of 16. So sensational stuff for Thailand. But Indonesia, on the other hand, Cam, I mean, what a story. Um, this I, I've always felt that Indonesia, Indonesia is truly a sleeping giant in in the context of global football, because they've got some of the most passionate fans and some of the most incredible football culture you'll find anywhere on the globe. You know, you, if you're if anyone is smitten by the football culture in Europe, in in South America, in 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 Northern Africa, just go to Indonesia and watch some of those league games. It's it it's incredible. It's on par in terms of the fanaticism and the love for the game over there. And and Shin Tae-yong, again, a, a, a Korean coach that seems to be making waves in, in Southeast Asia, um, you know, has got them playing such a, a progressive, attacking-minded. I mean, they sit deep, they absorb, but they're also brave and they're chaotic and, and they cause so much of, of problems when they race up front. Um, and I'm just so happy for them. Um, I, I could see the excitement amongst my Indonesian colleagues and you know friends and fans that I follow on Twitter. Just, uh, I wish it was you know it was us celebrating Malaysia as well, but but that's fine. I'm I'm okay with that, and I'm just looking forward to watching Indonesia and Thailand. So Indonesia play Australia again. Australia have not been utterly sensational as well in this tournament, and Thailand will play Uzbekistan. Okay. So despite the fact that the Asian Cup has actually finished and Malaysia won 3-3, um, <laughs> that is how it works, by the way. Um, who, who, and now they're just playing for the third, fourth playoff spot. Um, who's going to win the third, fourth playoffs? <laughs> who's going to win? Uh, Des. You, I want to ask Des. Iraq look good, don't they, Des? 
they were magnificent against uh, Japan. But uh, you, you know what? I get the feeling that Japan were not at half level, but that defeat will have done Japan the power of good. Yeah. Uh, I did I did the, the the Japan game against Indonesia, and Indonesia battled, but they hardly got a touch. Uh, yeah. Japan Kubo looked wonderful, um, and they they made they made eight changes for that game against Indonesia. They've got such uh, strength in depth. And I think Japan are a united team. Uh, I would be amazed if they don't go very, very deep into this tournament. I'd be amazed if they don't win it, actually. Because uh, even though they've not um, shone so far, uh, even though they actually, I think they were runners-up in their group. Yeah, they were behind Iraq because they lost yeah. that to Iraq. Um, I, I, I just think they've got so much quality. And Kubo, I've heard about Kubo for years. He, he's only 22. He's, he's still a kid, so a, a year is an exaggeration. But what a glorious, beautiful player he is. And Ritsu, mm. though, I've commentated on Ritsu since the under-16s in the AFC. And again, you, you get to see these players in the flesh for the first time. You just see the movement. You see the touch. J Japan have got enough players, I think, to yeah. go, on, yeah. go on and take this tournament. But the yeah. West Asians are so physically strong that um, it could be difficult. But Japan's do this one. We, we are J completely out of time. So it's got to be a one-word answer, Keish. Who's, who's going who's gonna to go? Um, I, I, I like Iraq a lot. I think they've been the best side so far, but I think Japan too. And bear in mind, we've not seen Mitoma yet. He's expected to be fit for the knockout stages. So, mm. Bob, do you have a preference? I don't. Uh, uh, no, not really. Yeah, not really. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would go for South Korea. Yeah, yeah, by reputation. And also that they, you know, they managed to, they managed to hold mighty Malaysia to three goals. <laughs> Yeah, so, you can say uh, we lost to the winners. I, that's what I want. Oh, I, I would love that. Yeah, ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, thank you so much, and uh, that brings us to the end of this uh, week's show. I'd like to thank Bob Holmes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kishnan Sundaresan. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Go rest your voice. Um, and thank you so much for a very early morning start in Qatar. Uh, Des Corkill. Absolute pleasure. I, I promise it's it's a, a thrill and a privilege to be here. Um, uh, and the Asian Cup is has been everything I hoped it would be. Excellent. Uh, and uh, also, I'd like to thank our producer Hanif Baharudin. And see you next time here on Just for Kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine. For more football, tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.